As soon as I realized that these people were not strong swimmers and that their boat was no longer acting as a vessel to keep somebody afloat, that's when I realized that this was a bad situation. My name is Claire Higgins Cooper, and I put fear on hold when I threw my life jacket to a struggling swimmer and jumped in the water to help two more. On January 13th, 2008, three friends went sailing on Lake Pontchartrain in New Orleans, Louisiana. One of them was 14-year-old Claire Higgins Cooper. Here's Claire. So two friends and I, uh, John and Chris, were planning to go sailing that day to practice for an upcoming regatta. And so we were sailing uh, a sailboat race. Um, we were sailing a boat called a Flying Scott, which is about 19 feet long um, and typically sailed with two or three people. But given that we were all um, teenagers, it, we needed more weight in the boat, so we sailed with three. It, it was a very windy day, and um, Lake Pontchartrain is really long, 26 miles to the north. And so when the wind blows from the north, the waves just get bigger and bigger as they come towards the south. And so by the time they get to the South Shore, which is where we were sailing out of, the waves can get really big. So it was windy, wavy, and pretty cold, kind of overcast day. The conditions were tough, and most boaters would have called off practice. But Claire and her friends had raced together frequently and competed in regattas at least once a month. So the weather wasn't a factor. So we showed up at the club, and although it was a blustery windy, overcast day. Given that one friend had driven in so far to come practice with us, we didn't want to call it off and decided we would just go out anyways. We were all very capable sailors um, and had a lot of experience at that point sailing together and on those boats, and so we weren't really concerned about the wind or the waves at all. Claire wasn't concerned because she grew up sailing and she knew these Louisiana waters well. Both of my parents and my stepdad also sailed, and so they enrolled me in summer sailing camp at a very early age. And we also, prior to Hurricane Katrina, lived about three blocks from the yacht club. And so I was there a lot, whether that was swimming or sailing. Um, and so I was involved in, in some youth sailing programs in both the fall and the spring, typically on weekends. As they set sail that day, they noticed there was not a lot of traffic on the lake due to the rough conditions. But they spotted a boat in the distance. Claire said it gave them a marker, and they sailed towards it. We got out of the harbor and saw, we were in the sailboat, we saw the motorboat a little ways away. And Lake Pontchartrain is really big, and there's not really any landmarks or... There are a few stationary marks in the water, but um, that day there wasn't a whole lot of action. There weren't many boats on the water, and so we said, well, hey, let's go sail over by them and just wave hello. I don't know if we were even consciously thinking of it as we came out of the harbor, but as we got closer and closer to the motorboat, we could see all three of the people in it huddled around the engine in, in the stern of the boat, the back part of the boat, and um, as we got closer, the waves um, that had really stacked up at that point gotten really big. 
started to come over the stern of the boat as all three of them were in, in the back looking at the engine. It seemed like a routine problem, one that might require Claire and her friends to simply call for help. But by the time they came upon the disabled boat, things had gotten much worse. At first we were, it looked like a boat with engine trouble, which I don't know at, at 14 if we'd seen that before, but a boat with engine trouble isn't unheard of. And so we, we likely were expecting to just check it out and see if they were okay. And if they needed help, go flag down somebody on shore to come out and give them a hand. So I'm not sure that we were really thinking about our practice being over. By the time we got up to them, their boat had swamped, had flooded with water. Imagine a group of teenage friends out for an afternoon sailing practice, and they encounter a situation that holds the lives of two men and a woman in the balance. As we got close and I saw there was a, a woman in the water who was struggling. She was certainly the one staying afloat best, um, but she was struggling to stay afloat. And as soon as I realized that these people were not strong swimmers and that their boat was at that point either swamped or capsized, but their boat was no longer acting as a vessel to keep somebody afloat, I think that's when I realized that this was a, a bad situation. The situation was growing more dire by the minute. Then Claire did something you might not expect from a 14-year-old. When we sailed up, um, at first the woman was in the water, and my two friends and I all had life jackets on. And so I took my life jacket off and gave it to the woman who was within throwing distance, sort of within arm's reach. As I was doing that, our sailboat is getting pushed away from them by the wind and the waves. When I jumped in, the real reason was that we were getting even further and further away from them. And the time it would take for us to get our boat underway and get back close to them would have taken at least a minute or two. And at that point, the two men were already struggling in the water. How does a young girl summon the courage to act so selflessly on behalf of people she doesn't know? This is what the Carnegie Hero Fund investigators look for when determining who meets the criteria of a Carnegie Medal awardee. I'm Susan Rizza. I'm a case investigator for the Carnegie Hero Fund Commission, and I investigated the case of Claire Higgins Cooper. Susan follows a strict protocol when evaluating every case, and she tells why she felt Claire was more than worthy. Well, the first reason is that she risked her life, but what impressed me most about her was her maturity. She was only 14, and her selflessness. She was willing to give up her life jacket to, again, somebody she didn't even know. And at 14, to have that presence of mind, I think it speaks to how uh, she was raised. Claire was in the cold, choppy waters of Lake Pontchartrain without a life jacket. Her other two friends had pulled the woman onto their sailboat. Seconds later, the other boat capsized, sending the two men into the 58-degree water. Claire had to do some quick thinking. I believe that we had a floating seat cushion, like a, it's just a square pillow sort of a looking thing with two handles on it. That's a required safety item on a lot of sailboats. And so I, I'm pretty sure I took that with me into the water and gave that to the first guy. 
and then had this moment of, oh gosh, what do I do to help this second guy? And that's when I found a, um, there was like a chair on a pole like you would have on the front of a bass boat that had detached and was floating. And so I, I was able to grab that and swim that to the second guy as sort of a rudimentary flotation device. So after I brought both of the men something to at least help keep them afloat, that was when I sort of stepped back and said, oh, oh, wait a second, uh, I'm in the middle of the lake here without anything to keep myself afloat. And at that point, there wasn't much more I felt that I could do to help them. And so I realized, okay, at this point, I need to get myself to something floating because who knows how long we're going to be out here. Claire had handled the situation for the time being, but her experience told her that both men would need more help if they were to survive. Yeah, it, unfortunately, it wasn't super buoyant, and so it certainly helped, but it, it wasn't sufficient. It, it wasn't like a life jacket or a floating seat cushion or something really buoyant that you could really hold on to and stay above the water. And so there was a period of time where, you know, I'd given them both something to at least help, but I was in this conundrum of what more can I do without, you know, I don't want to swim them back to the capsized boat because I was worried that they would then grab onto me and drown us. This was not a situation a girl her age is used to facing, and Claire had little training for it. When she remembered something she learned in a safe water class, it made her wonder if they would all make it. I had taken a uh, like intro to lifeguarding course at a summer camp that I attended. And at that point, I wasn't old enough to be a lifeguard, but it was just sort of like a, I was a junior counselor. And so it was a safe water habits type class. One of the things that they discussed in the class is that struggling swimmers will grab whatever they can and that can often be the person trying to help them. So I had that in the back of my mind that these two struggling swimmers might grab me and at this point I don't have a life jacket and that wouldn't really do anyone any good if then I'm being drowned by a struggling swimmer. But thankfully as I was having that, playing that game of mental gymnastics, I saw a small boat coming out of the harbor that was heading straight for us. Claire's two friends were taking the woman back to shore in the sailboat and along the way, they encountered a dad and his son, trying out their small inflatable skiff. They pointed them in the direction of the capsized boat. Claire was about to make another courageous decision. When that little boat came, uh, there was a little boat, a little inflatable dinghy. When that came out and they pulled in the two guys out of the water, but we had this moment of eye contact of all realizing that there is not enough room in this tiny boat with these waves for four men and me. And so I think I said at some point, y'all just go get them to safety. I'm, I'll be okay, take them. And so at that point, I'm watching my two friends sail in the sailboat in with the woman, taking her to shore. And the only other boat on the lake, this tiny little inflatable dinghy going in with the two guys into shore. I realize, oh, wait, I'm in the middle of the lake on top of this overturned boat without a life jacket that maybe this wasn't my smartest idea. Investigator Susan Rizza. I know I'm using the word amazing, but I think that's, it was that. She kept calm and she was clear-headed. She just, I think instinctively knew what to do. And 
she didn't think it was a good idea to get into the boat with the victims. I think that most 14-year-olds would be, get me into the boat and get me out of the water, but she didn't. Claire was alone in the middle of the lake, sitting atop a swamped boat with no life jacket, watching the people she rescued being taken to shore. I'm not sure if I was afraid, but I appreciated the gravity of the situation when I watched the two boats, the only two boats aside from the capsized one on the lake heading in without me. That's when I was just trying to basically just wait for somebody to come and get me because I wasn't going to swim to shore. I had on some fleece leggings and a fleece top, which helped a lot out of the water, but I just got heavy and wet and cold. Claire was eventually rescued and later nominated for a Carnegie Medal for her incredible heroism that day. Looking back, she didn't think she did anything that special. It's what she expected of herself. Maybe that's what being a hero is all about. I appreciate that others think it was this big heroic act, but to me it was just what, what I would expect of myself, and I don't really see it as this big deal. I mean, yeah, I get that it saved people's lives, but um, in terms of heroism, I guess I'm a little shy about it. Again, Susan Rizza, investigator for the Carnegie Hero Fund Commission. Most of the people that I talk to that are nominated for the award feel the same way that anybody that was there would have done the same thing. And I think that's what sets them apart because we hear about so many people who are at a scene and the rescuer is acting and they're saying there are so many people standing around recording what was going on, but nobody offered to help. Those whose lives were saved that day are eternally grateful that Claire Higgins Cooper was not one of those people. But it's funny because I feel this obligation to help people. Like, I wasn't just going to stand by and watch these people drown. Like, I felt like I had some sort of interpersonal moral obligation to help them if I could. Just like the obligation of humanity, almost. I wasn't just going to stand by and watch these people drown. Thank you for listening to Fear on Hold. My name is Eric Zarin, and I'm president and chair of Andrew Carnegie's Hero Fund, the 100-year-old foundation that awards the Carnegie Medal, North America's highest civilian award for heroism. As president, I get to see the nominations of heroic acts that come in from across the United States and Canada. I'm constantly amazed at the extraordinary risk people willingly take on to save others, who are often strangers. Since 1904, we've awarded the Carnegie Medal to more than 10,000 people. This podcast is just a small sample of their incredible stories. Visit us at carnegiehero.org. Subscribe to hear other stories where heroes put their fear on hold, including Don Thompson, whose decision to go into work a little early would impact the life of a man he'd never met. Is this the way I'm going to die in a fire on Christmas Day? Is this how life ends for me? These heroic stories are based on investigative reports made by the Carnegie Hero Fund Commission and the personal memories of medal recipients and witnesses. Fear on Hold was produced by Big Science Pods, Bill Garrison, and the Carnegie Hero Fund Commission. Funding was provided by the Carnegie Hero Fund. Original music by Big Science Music. Thank you to all of the heroes and witnesses who participated in this podcast. And a special thanks to all heroes everywhere. 
past, present, and future.